And we're off. We are off. Oh boy, are you excite? I am. Are you are you an excite? Yep. <laughs> you're supposed to <laughs> you're supposed to enthusiastically say yay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh my papa, yes. I I just woke up. You did just woke up. How better to begin your day than with some classic Spanish cinema? Yeah. I mean, or we could talk about something else. Did you know that there is a band called the Spirit of the Beehive? I'm not surprised. From Philadelphia, uh, they uh, they had their their debut album was in 2014. So I'm assuming that's around the time they really started getting into the Criterion Collection. Yeah, let's let's be real here. <laughs> yeah, and they have a new album coming out this this. I, mean, I haven't listened to them. I don't know anything about them except they're called the Spirit of the Beehive, and uh, and it doesn't say anything. They, they have, I guess. Their uh, their their Wikipedia page says that they are their genres are alternative rock, indie rock, psychedelic rock, dream pop, and experimental rock. So it seems like they've covered all their bases there. Yeah, there's yeah. no that name is way too specific for them to not have. Like, there's no way they came up with that on their own. No, of course not. This is no Kawinky Dink. This is a deliberate yeah. reference. I have no idea why they call themselves that. I have this thing where if you're a band and you name your band after something very pop culturally specific, like if you're like, we're going to be Kermit and the Scooters, then I believe like there should be a law that at least one song on every album has to be in direct reference to whatever pop cultural thing you're referring to. Like the Atari's should have been forced to have at least one song per album about an Atari game. Mm -hmm. And Fallout Boy should have had to have at least one song per album about, if not just Fallout Boy, then at least The Simpsons. Mm -hmm. like you, ha you have to pay homage to, to what you're referencing. That's my theory. That's my rule. To be fair, I think Fallout Boy did at some point. On every album. On every album. You know, that's a... That's fair. Yeah. Or at least have a songs in the style of what you're referring to. Like fall, all of Fall Out Boy songs should have been Danny Elfman-esque uh, type songs. You should tweet them. <laughs> I should. I don't know how to write that in words, though. <laughs> but besides, I'm sure they've heard that enough times in their life. Mm -hmm. Why don't you do more songs about Fall Out Boy? And they're like. It was just a, it was a thing we were going through at the time. Uh, yeah. But we're not discussing Fallout Boy this this episode. What are we discussing? Spirit of the Beehive. And what is that? It's a Spanish cinema sad time movie. You I don't assume. know if it's a sad time. It could be a hilarious movie. It's about the Spanish it is Civil, about the Spanish Civil War. Yes. <laughs> It's from 1973. Uh, all I really know about it is that it's somehow related to the movie Frankenstein, James Whale's Frankenstein. Did we watch the original Frankenstein? We did, didn't we? We didn't just watch The Bride of Frankenstein. We, saw we both watched of them. the original. We did watch the original. And we also yeah, that's like, what that's what led us to, to doing our, our four-part. Well, I knew that we had done Frankensteins. I couldn't remember if we had actually done the original. It's been so long. No, I know, I, that's what led us to do our four-part um Series. I we watched we watched the original Frankenstein, and I was like, we should do the book. That's right. And That's right. do it for the month of Halloween. And we did, and then and then we were like, we should do this with other books, and then we never did again, except the last year when we've been doing an entire book of short stories. But we're back to movies, and we are long distance, so we're going to have to. We're, but we are going to watch this together, unlike the last few movies we did, where we just sort of watched them on our own. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so this is 1973's The Spirit of the Beehive. Uh, it is directed by uh, Victor Arise. 
I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Spanish filmmaker, obviously. Um, Victor Rice was famous, is, is most famous for this movie and for the fact that he only directed, I believe, three uh, three films. He's only directed three films. He's 80 years old now, but uh, he's like, I just I did the movies he wanted to make and and that was it. And that was it. Uh, he's made some short films since his last feature film, but uh, but that's it. As, as amazing as people consider his work, he's just like, he only had those three films that he wanted to make. And then he was i guess done so i haven't done a whole lot of research on this movie because i didn't want to spoil anything but i do have a lot of documentaries lined up to watch so you better believe that when we come back i will have too much information to discuss uh i don't i i haven't watched an entire movie in a long time uh (laughs) that's what you were telling me yesterday yeah yeah fortunately we will be together even though we are apart so are you ready to launch into 1973's The Spirit of the Beehive, the long-lost movie that we are finally covering? Yeah. Awesome. Then uh, we should probably let everybody know that I am Phil. Uh, I Willow. Let's try that again. <laughs> then we should... Oh, yeah, and we're back to the ecstasy of influence. That's fun. Haven't said yeah. those words together in a while. So I'm Phil. And I'm Willow. And it's, it's Del, Del Toro time. time. Hello. 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 Can you not hear me again? No, I can totally hear you. Okay. <laughs> I just felt like saying hello a lot. Yeah. Yes, and we're back. We're back with a with a movie. We are with we... a spooky lost movie. Spooky and lost. What does that even mean? I don't know what that means. Why do you say it's what? it's not a lost movie? It was our lost movie. Oh, I see what you're saying. It was not lost to us. We simply had not yet found it. Isn't that like the definition of lost? <laughs> no, because I mean, to me, lost would mean that you had had it and then it was gone. Now it's... We did have it and then it stopped working and then we had to find another one. Oh, you're right. I've to- I totally forgot about that. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> it's that we couldn't get the subtitles to work. Yeah. Yeah, the subtitles weren't working and I was so frustrated. What did we end up doing? We ended up skipping it and... But did we record? Did we actually record an episode that time? Did we? No. Okay. How that must have been very frustrating for me. Yeah. <laughs> I have no memory <laughs> of it. It was so long ago. We've been doing this show for a long time now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it was before everything got shut down. Oh, so. definitely. Because... It was like 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 10, 10 <laughs> solid years ago when you were a, a, a much too young of a child. Um, no. Yeah. Because we, we were still doing movies into uh, into this, into the shutdown. Like we did like... Mm-hmm. We did a few films long distance before we shut down. Yeah. And uh and then we did we tried to do Spirit of the Beehive. I'm just going to check and see. So we skipped. We tried to watch it. It didn't work. I said Kun it. Oh, and then we did the Three Musketeers and then the Four Musketeers. Mm-hmm. Uh That was way before lockdown. Or no, it wasn't cuz we did No, the we... Four Musketeers we did long distance. The mm-hmm. Three Musketeers we did not long distance though. Right. And then we did The Phantom of the Paradise long distance. Chainsaw Which long was distance. The most impossible movie for me to watch. Fans of the Yeah, you had a lot of trouble with that. But that was a long time ago. And then we were just like, let's just let's just do some books for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we're back with the Spirit of the Beehive. Hurrah hooray. Taran Tarah. Uh what a weird movie that was. It was good though. Yeah, but we had a good time watching it too. Yeah, we it was, did. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a hey, it's not very long. I was super mm-hmm. surprised. 
It's like about nine. It's about ninety-seven minutes long. Which, thank yeah. goodness. <laughs> I mean, not not to slide it, but I think that's a good length for it. It it gets it's in also, and out. Also, I don't think that we could have watched a movie longer than that because of all the technical issues we started having. We had a few glitches, uh, but we got them to work. Uh, we opened four rooms. <laughs> oh yes, it was. <laughs> it was sharing a video over a server is is it, it's tricky, but we made it work. Mm-hmm. Like and as long as you don't accidentally hit a button on your keyboard, it, it works a lot better too. Yeah, we kept being like, "Okay, who paused it? Who paused it? <laughs> it was you." Uh, well, I kept pausing it on purpose because you were unpausing it, and then I paused again. Yeah, was that a, was only at the end. It was a bit tricky. <laughs> it's right. It was right. Uh, and then the subtitles disappeared for you, like in the middle of the movie. That was for no weird. Reason. That was weird. This is a fascinating topic of conversation for our <laughs> listeners. Our technical issues. Uh, Victor Erice. Uh, Victor Erice, the director of this movie, he is still alive. I was. I guess I'm not terribly surprised. He's only 80 years old. Uh, uh, Victor Erice. Uh, he, he's only made three feature films he made this one uh about a decade later he made one called el sur and then another decade later he made his final feature film which was a documentary uh called uh i don't i'm gonna i'm gonna slaughter this el sol del membrio the quince tree sun it was documentary so yeah like once every 10 years he got it together to make a movie (laughs) And that's not an exaggeration. That's like people are like, he is such a perfectionist and so exacting that that's how long it takes him just to get something made. And that final film was the only film he actually finished to his satisfaction, the way he wanted to make it. Both of his other films, this one and El Sur, he had to cut a ton of stuff out and totally compromise because things were taking too long. Uh, So this movie was actually supposed to be a lot longer. I'm glad it wasn't. Uh, And it was actually supposed to be more about the parents, but it took him so long to make that they had to leave and go do other projects. So he had to make it mostly about the kids, which I think ended up being to the benefit Mm -hmm. of the the film. Uh, But yeah, that was not the movie he he set out to film. But that means that since he was such a a control person about the... uh everything in the movie that baby doll in the background is on to intentional everything in this movie was intentional do not doubt for a second that he made any that anything was made without erise just being like this is exactly how it's going to be um but spirit of the beehive so in a nutshell what's this movie kind of about so there's this small town mm-hmm. and by small town i mean small town very small town not like small town america no 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 but like small town where does it take place 1940 in spain (laughs) okay i didn't know where it took place in the world spanish civil Uh, war oh right duh franco come on what are we doing Uh, here (laughs) yeah spanish civil war but yeah it's like a it's a dirt town Mm -hmm. i mean not like giant that's not like a judgment call like it's actually like everything is dirt Uh, but it has a giant mansion Mm. but it's not like the head of the town yeah but it's not much of a mansion anymore i mean it's (laughs) i mean it's it's big but like as the woman as the mom says it's pretty much just the walls and a few bits of furniture at this point i don't know it looked pretty furnished when we saw it uh the idea being of course that this is a movie that's set right at the end of the spanish civil war this town has lost everything Mm -hmm. uh everything so just like most people had at this point like there's not a whole lot going on uh but one day um the traveling traveling man of movies comes to the town Mm -hmm. and brings the movie frankenstein 
Yeah. Uh, and he, yeah, he comes in a truck, and they set up a little theater inside, it was like a church or just like a, mm-hmm. a building, like an empty building, and they have like a little movie screen. Everyone brings their own chairs. Mm-hmm. And they watch Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, and the this part of the movie doesn't focus a lot on our our main characters um because it goes cuts outside of the uh the theater and mm-hmm. goes to a man in a fun bee suit not like a bee suit <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not the bee guy from the simpsons no it's a beekeeper's outfit a beekeeper yeah. yes uh yes this is uh this is our uh this is the father uh uh mm-hmm. he looks like arthur weasley Oh, you're right. That's right. We, 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 he, yes, he's, he's a little like a little rough around the edges. Uh, yeah, a little bookish. Uh, his name is, his name is Fernando. He's played by Fernando Fernan Gomez. And, uh, he is, yeah, he is, he is obsessed with his bees and the, uh, is he obsessed with his bees? He talks about them a lot. He sure does talk about bees a lot. And, uh, and the inner workings of the beehive. Keep that in mind. I guess. I mean, I wasn't really paying attention to him, to be completely honest. Mm, he kind of sets up a lot of the themes of the movie in his in his conversation. Like he has this kind of internal monologue going on about like about the the inner the beehive and the way the beehive hive works. And you, it's a little on the nose, but the windows in this house are beehive windows. They are like golden glass in hexagons like it looks like you're looking mm-hmm. through a beehive when you look through the windows that was intentional obviously uh, uh everyone's just kind of it's implying that everyone in this movie is just kind of like going about their day without really mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot going on they're just a bunch of worker bees at this point there's not a lot of yeah. uh yeah uh um so we and then we cut to the mom mm-hmm. and she's writing a letter yeah to someone to someone mm-hmm. we never we never find out who but it's not important yeah, she's writing about her life there to a man who she mm-hmm. used to be with. But it's not clear if it's a an ex-lover or even like everyone has their opinion. Some people refer to it as her ex-lover. Her Some people were like, it could be her brother for all we know. Like we just know it's a mm-hmm. guy who she loves. And that she... Or it could be a dead person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know that she mails one of the letters, but that's mm-hmm. it. And, and that, she watches the boys on the train. Yeah, the train boys. Tell us about them boys. There's a bunch of soldiers on a train. Yeah. And she stares at them for an extended period of time. A little too long, mm-hmm. that scene was. Well, she watches opinion. She watches all the people leave the town on the train. You get a feeling mm-hmm. she's not that happy. She's not very content. No, she's not. She's married to a guy who's considerably older than her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's pining for something else. Life is just kind of going by. There's not a whole lot going on in this town. Um, anyways, after we deal with those two people, mm-hmm. we go back to the theater and we zoom in on a, uh, conversation between, I couldn't tell if they were girls or boys at first. I'm going to be completely honest. Yeah. Cause they have short hair and they're yeah. very young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and two girls, mm-hmm. um, who are in the theater talking and the one who's younger, um, they're at the scene in Frankenstein where he's, where he's thrown the girl into the lake. Right. Um, and the younger one says, "Why did why did he kill her?" And the older one goes, "Shh." Mm-hmm. But the younger one doesn't. Shh. Uh, <laughs> she just keeps asking, so the older one's like, "I'll tell you later." And then the movie goes on. Uh, so yeah, so these are our focus focal characters: Anna and Isabel, played by Anna Torrent mm-hmm. and Isabel Telaria, and. 
They're... Oh, we should mention that all of the main characters have the same names as the actors. Yes, they have the same names as the actors because a little Anna Torrent couldn't keep it straight, so they just changed the names to all the of the characters mm-hmm. just for her benefit. Uh, the footage where you're watching them watch Frankenstein is legit. Uh, this is the first time most of the people in this audience had seen this movie. Uh, the shot where Anna sees the monster and sees the little girl being carried by her father, and you see Anna's face, like, like you see her mm-hmm. eyes get really big. Uh, uh, Victor Radice said that that moment was totally accidental, him catching that moment. He said it is the most is the greatest thing he ever caught on film in his entire career. The greatest shot he ever accidentally achieved. And he made the point where he's like, I'm a perfectionist. Everything in my movies is like totally just like put together so precisely. I'm such a, everything is precise. But no matter how precise you make a movie, the real magic comes from these unexpected things. And he said that moment where her eyes got big and she she had this legit reaction. He's like, you can't fake that. You can't plan that. That's a movie. Like That's the magic of the movie. Uh, And I, I think that's cool. Like for this, as much of a control freak as he is, he's like, that's not like the heart of the movie is still in the spontaneous drama that the humans in the film bring to it. Like, I just, I don't know. To me, it's very self-aware. You don't, there's a, like, mm-hmm. you talk to like a Kubrick who's like, ah, I'm going to control everything. Uh, and then you get Victor Rice who's like, I'm going to control everything, but also there's magic. <laughs> and he would say it in Spanish. So, uh, yeah. So later on, the little girls are trying to go to sleep and mm-hmm. they have another conversation. What's part of that conversation? Uh, Anna keeps asking, why did he kill the girl and why did they kill him? Mm-hmm. Um, and Isabel says, well, first, Isabel just ignores her. <laughs> right. Because she's an and older then, sister. <laughs> yeah. And then Anna calls her a liar because Isabel says, said, I know, I'll tell you later. Yeah. Um, and Isabel's like, you don't, or Anna's like, you don't actually know. You're lying. So Isabel turns around and is like, they're not dead. Mm. Everything in and, the movies is a fake. They're not actually dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But and, also. And then she pulls... Then she pulls an older sister. Which is? Uh, you could, you, you're the one who has an older sister. Why don't you explain? <laughs> she pulls an older sister by... There's this thing that siblings do... Wait, you're an older sister. I guess you're a way older sister. Yeah, you never had this. Say. You never had this relationship with Mitzi. There's this thing that older siblings do where when you're, when you're still young enough, but you're old enough, it, it, you have to be at a certain age where you say something to kind of freak out your little sibling... But you also kind of believe it enough yourself that it comes across as legit. Like you can tell that Isabel's kind of being a little a little jerk by scare to scare mm-hmm. Anna. But also that she is young enough that she kind of scares herself and she convinces herself of this, which is, is that even though everything in the movies is fake and it was all fake and he's just actors. Also, that monster in Frankenstein is real, but he's not a monster. He's a spirit. He's an evil spirit. And he'll come to you if you call him. If you stand and you say, I am Anna, I am Anna, I am Anna, that monster will come to you. And this like changes the worldview of this little girl, Anna, indelible, like forever. You cannot, that's a threshold. And now she has crossed it and her life is forever different. And I think Isabel tells her at this point, he lives in that abandoned barn. Yeah. If you go to that abandoned barn, he'll show up. I sort of have had that relationship with people before, uh, mostly my peers in like elementary school. Yes. Uh, we used to trade um, scary stories. Mm-hmm. Most of them were straight out of scary stories to tell in the dark, but I didn't know that at the time. Yeah, that's how it works. Uh, and even in middle school, I, when I had art class, I used to sit and just sort of improv stories to tell people. Yeah. Um, 
but like there was always that nagging feeling in the back of my head that I was like, this is real. I'm telling you some, this is, I like, I'd freak myself out too. Yeah. Well, that's the fun part of it is you, you know, you're making it up, but then by saying it out loud, you've made it real. Like you've, Mm -hmm. you've sort of brought that into the world. And that's kind of what Isabel does in this. She, the combination of them witnessing this movie and then her speaking that out loud has started to, has started this snowballing effect of this, this spirit uh, of, I won't say the beehive because it's not, it's really sort of the spirit of these children. Uh, Mm -hmm. Any movie that is about seeing a movie and is also about a child is always going to be about the act of seeing and witnessing because mm-hmm. that is what children do. Children witness and absorb. And more than any adolescent, more than any adult, a child observes and sees. Like you see, their eyes are always open. And a movie, of course, is all about seeing. And you they have cast on a torrent who has the most amazing eyes of any little child to ever appear in a film. Like mm-hmm. she, she just looks and you're like, that's the greatest child act I've ever seen in my life. She's like really watching. Apparently she was a little butthead on set and they were constantly like having to like put up with her because she wasn't this adorable little angel. And in fact, in one scene where she's sitting on her mother's lap, getting her hair brushed, the actress playing her mom had to like pinch her in order to get her to shut up and sit still. That's not surprising. Yeah. She's a little kid. She's a little kid. She reminds, she reminds me a lot of Mitzi when Mitzi was her age. Yeah, yeah. Very active, very active imagination. Will run into an abandoned barn uh, (laughs) (laughs) before you can stop them. Uh, Also, a little secret surprise. This is not the last time we will be watching Anna Torrent. Just so you know, she'll be back. She's a famous actor now. Like she, this this movie like made a name for her, and she just became a famous Spanish actress. She still works today. Like she's in stuff now. If you look this movie up, every time you look this movie up, the synopsis that's given is like. After seeing the movie Frankenstein, a little girl encounters a runaway soldier in the barn and believes it to be the Frankenstein's monster. And I'm like, that's not what this movie is about at all. That's like five minutes of the entire film. Yup, that is a little (laughs) slice of what this movie has. Uh, So what kind of happens throughout this movie then, once this gets kicked off? Well, once the girls are up in the morning, they have to go to school. Yeah. Um. <laughs> oh, oh, must be a pretty normal day at school. <laughs> the greatest character in cinema appears on screen. Who is our friend? Who's our new friend? What is his name? Who's your new dad? <laughs> Don. Don Pedro? It... Don. No. Don Jose. Yes. Okay. And they meet the greatest character of all time. Well, they don't meet him because he's not alive, but. <laughs> he is alive, uh... though. He's alive in our hearts. What does Don Jose do and why is he the most beautiful man? He has no eyes. And? No leg. No. No lungs. And? He's he's a mannequin. He is, a, he's not he's even a 2D mannequin. mannequin. He's a 2D man. He's a, he is a flat man made of wood with no eyes. But he does have the peeled away skull where his eyes would be. <laughs> yeah. This is, yeah, it's an educational tool to teach the parts of the body to little kids. No. What was that? <laughs> What happened? It's just fine. Is everything okay? Yeah. I hear like, ho! And then a big clumping, thumping noise. One second. Why don't you go check that out? I'll be right here. Hi. Everything okay? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
Don Jose <laughs> is a flat okay. man made of wood. We have to include a picture of him, though. Include because a picture. Because they need to, like, like, don't you have a blog for this or something? Yes. Maybe I'll make Don. To... Maybe I'll make Don Jose the main picture for this episode. That's a good idea. Because it is. It would be disingenuous of me to say like it's unintentionally creepy because I believe it's supposed to be creepy. I believe it's supposed mm-hmm. to be a little unsettling. Uh, uh, but it's it's an educational tool that you would use in a classroom to show the parts of the body. And it looks handmade. It looks janky. And I believe it was the screenwriter, the original screenwriter uh, or the producer... It was either the screenwriter or the producer who based it on an actual thing that he had seen uh, as a kid that got used, was being used in a classroom that he was always jealous of because he didn't, he wasn't, he didn't have the means to attend this school. So he would pass this classroom every single day as a little boy and he would look in the window and they would be using this thing called Don Jose. And I think it was actually more of just like a mannequin, like just sort of a Mm -hmm. reference mannequin. Uh, And the kids would get to like point out the parts of the body. And he was so jealous of this that he wanted to be in this classroom with all the other kids and he wanted to play with the Don Jose dummy that when he came time to create this film uh, with Victor Arise, he was like, I'm putting in a Don Jose, but I'm going to make it more awesome than that Don Jose. I'm going to make it like the, the platonic ideal of the Don Jose by making it weird and creepy and something you can actually put the parts on. And that's what he did. And it's kind of cool. <laughs> I respect that. Yeah. But it yeah. is the most horrifying scene in this entire movie. though. And what does little Anna have to put on the Don Jose? Um, his eyes. His eyes! Because Don Jose can see. Now Don Jose can see, just like Anna. Just like us, the audience. This movie is all about... You could say she's holding eyes without a face. She's holding eyes without a face. (laughs) Uh, Available on HBO Max, by the way. Um, So, yeah, so... Everything in this movie is about seeing. Everything in this movie is about witnessing. Everything in this movie is about is about seeing in new ways. Um, it's very important. Very important. It's a little girl. The little girl is starting to see the world in a different way. Uh, also, Do you think yes. that the reason they chose to have this scene in this school, like, the, like they could have done any lesson. Do you think that's because Dr. Frankenstein built the monster piece by piece? Do you think it has anything to do with <laughs> Frankenstein? what do you think i think so yes yes this movie is all about frankenstein even when it's not it's still this movie was originally originally original before victor rice was even involved with it when it was just an idea in the screenwriter's head this movie was originally just going to be frankenstein they were just going to do a new adaptation of frankenstein and it kept being rewritten back and back and back and being more and more abstracted until it became this. But what's interesting is this movie was originally going to have uh, bookends. It was going to begin and end with Anna as an adult returning to the town uh, and meeting with her father, who is now old. And her mother, I think, died and her sister is gone. And it's going to be told in flashbacks. And everything was going to be explained. It was going to be a very straightforward movie. And when they decided to finally cut that framing device, that's when the movie really became what it is. And Arise would go and revisit that framing device, I believe, in El Sur, his next movie. Uh, which I guess he only has one other fiction film. Uh, and the screenwriter... I think, or the producer, one of the two, eventually made another movie that actually used that framing device as well. Like, it became a thing. Uh, 
But yeah, it's all about Frankenstein. Everything in this movie is about is about Frankenstein, and like that's the most they you know, I, trust me. I watched a few documentaries, and they're like, you have to understand this is a Frankenstein movie. It's about Frankenstein is like the most important part of this movie. Okay, so I love Frankenstein. I think it's great, mm-hmm. but I am so tired <laughs> of talking about that movie. Isn't that crazy? And that book. <laughs> uh. I just finished I just finished my unit on Frankenstein for my Victorian thrillers class. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing about this movie is this movie came out in 1973. Uh, yep. So 73. This was a period, I can't remember what it's called, like the transition or something. Uh, Franco at this point had been ruling Spain for decades. Franco Stein. Franco Stein. And he was dying franco was dying at this point everyone knew it he was very sick and he had appointed a a, like a person to to lead in his in his stead when he was dead uh but franco was dying his hold was very weak there was another guy coming up from underneath but then that guy i believe either died or was killed um and that way he's dead and that opened up like people were like once franco's gone spain's coming back like it's it's no longer going to be a dictatorship and it's going to like fascist rules about Spain's to end. It's coming back, baby. It was. And this so this movie kind of happened in that soft period where people were suddenly people were looking to the future and Arise and all these filmmakers in this new Spanish film movement were like, "It's cool that we're all looking to this new future that we can see right on the horizon." It is so important that we not forget what happened for this last, like, for these last, like, 30 some odd years. That we cannot, we, we're all, like, people are so eager to just put the past behind us. We can't forget the fascism that we've been living through. And people were, like, starting to forget, like, that, how bad it was. And Spirit of the Beehive was kind of one of the many films that came out of this time that are like, look at, don't forget this. Like, open your eyes. Remember what it was like to live through this nightmare when, when, we this this like religious dictatorship took over and tried to and tried to throw us back into the dark ages and make Spain this like perfect religious country again uh and people were being killed people were being assassinated and uh and and it's been it's been slowly eroding away enough that we forgot we're forgetting how hard it was and and of course you couldn't just come right out and say it because they still these movies still had to be approved uh for for being made and so you make a movie like this that doesn't directly address franco but does address as you said franco stein uh the sort of like the monster the 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 spirit that's like lurking behind everything this like sort of aggressive creature that is sort of hiding in your barn and may or may not you know who knows you have to look at things through this like young child's eyes i don't know it's just it's it's a really interesting you have to keep that in mind when you watch movies from this era that they were addressing a very specific audience are we going to at all acknowledge the fact that Isabel is sort of a psychopath? Yeah, let's talk about little Isabel. So what does she do throughout this movie? So this is the older sister. Um, she doesn't say much. No. She pretends to meet the spirit in the barn. Yeah. Um, There's an abandoned barn that they go and visit. Yeah. Uh, she helps Anna when Anna doesn't have the answer to a question in class. Um, these two girls don't seem to have any friends. Yeah, they're pretty isolated. Except for each other. There's a lot of kids, um, but they don't seem to hang out with them a lot. Except when they're yeah. jumping over a fire. <laughs> that was a strange scene. But they Isab- should that what? But Isabel. Isabel. Um, she pretends to die at one point. Yeah. 
Like you hear her like that was disturbing. You hear her fall off a chair, mm-hmm. and it, and Anna goes into the room, and what's Isabel doing? Just laying there. Yeah, and we thought she was dead. Like we thought something had happened. Well, I was confused because you could see her breathing, but I wasn't sure if that was the actress breathing or if that was supposed to be Isabel breathing. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter because Anna would have been tricked anyway. Like mm-hmm. you're seeing it through the eyes of this little girl. Um, the yeah, the door is open. She's afraid of this spirit anyway. So all of a sudden, her sister gets killed, but of course, she's not killed. Yeah, she, um, Anna comes back inside after trying to find the housekeeper, mm-hmm. um, and Isabel's gone, and yeah. then we see a creepy gloved hand reaching for Anna, and then it's just her sister. Yeah, wearing the beekeeper outfit. Uh, mm-hmm. And she also uh, torments a cat. Yeah. Yeah. What is she? Try- she starts choking it. Yeah, she starts choking a cat for no reason. Yeah, and um, then it scratches her, and she uses the blood from her wound to paint her lips red yeah uh yeah she's a little off her rocker kind of uh she also jumps through the fire so the the kids at one point build a fire a pretty big like mm-hmm. fire it's, it's it goes up pretty high and they all take turns jumping over it but it's like so high like it's actually like licking their butts like <laughs> licking their butts. <laughs> jesus christ dad <laughs> The flames are up high enough that the flames are touching their rear ends. Like that is, that's how high the flames are. Even when you're jumping over the fire, that's how high the, so it's not less like they're f- jumping over like a little tiny campfire. It's like a good size mm-hmm. fire. Uh, they should have caught on fire. Right. Uh, the choking of the cat, the playing dead, the jumping through the fire. I mean, yes, it indicates like a child with some mental issues, but to me, it also indicates a child who is incredibly bored. Like, like almost clinically bored. Like there is so there is just their lives are just day. Yeah, they in. don't have any YouTube or anything. So yeah, you get one movie a year, and that's it. And everything else is just you stuck in this giant mansion with your with your little sister um, and going to explore the barn. Um, also, I guess if you lived in Spain at this time, you would have recognized the field they were in outside the barn as a a field that had been supposed to have crops in it, but was completely wiped out because of the way I guess like farmers were tre- like there was no one to farm the fields all the fields went like fallow like during this period of time you would have been like oh yeah like they also wouldn't have enough food to eat because all the fields are dead it would have been like if you set something during like the great depression and you showed like a farm that's just like all dust you would have been like oh the dust bowl right that's that also would have been affecting everyone so see uh, the funny thing is is i wouldn't have made either of those connections <laughs> well because you didn't live during that time yeah it's just like i don't know i've never i've never really connected movies with history uh well the but yeah but the audience in spain would have been like okay yeah um we get it the uh also almost every other shot in this movie either looks like a a vermeer painting or a uh or a uh like an andrew wyeth painting uh and that's that's you showed me some of those paintings yeah Christina's world is like Mm -hmm. there are several just static shots in this movie you're like oh he's just recreating the looks of these uh these paintings and he also pointed out that Vermeer a big one with Vermeer's lighting um uh this movie was really unusual for how desaturated it was and how colorless. I guess at the time, like Spanish cinema was known for being like even like like very serious movies were known for being very vibrant and colorful. So this looked like mm-hmm. unlike anything that had come out in Spanish cinema. So the girls are bored. Uh, they're going. They they visit this barn and they they call for the spirit uh, quite a few times uh, to see if it'll into come. the well. Yes, and they yell into the well. Uh, also, at one point, their father takes them out mushroom hunting and teaches them what not to hunt like there's very deadly mushrooms and you got very very tense and suspicious about this moment where they're learning what mushrooms not to touch 
you were like, that's going to come back into play uh, later And you on. kept saying it wouldn't. What? You kept saying it wouldn't. It kind of does and doesn't. Like it's, it's one of those things where I'm like, why did he bother mentioning the mushroom garden on the top of the mountain? Because nothing ever came of that. Yeah. And there's things like that where I'm like, was that stuff that was cut? Like that was that stuff they could never like that they were going to get to and never got to because they had to cut so much of this movie. We'll never know. I think part of it, I think it might have been um, because this girl, this little girl, Anna, is sort of crafting this fantasy world in her head. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that that was an added part of it because she's going somewhere near the end of the movie and right. you don't exactly know where she's going. I assume she's looking for this fabled mushroom garden because she thinks it's a place of like sanctuary or whatever. Right. So uh, uh, this movie is very incidental. Like a lot of incident happens. It's not like a, a, a solid like point A to point B plot. Uh, and Erise said that was intentional. He said this isn't a this isn't a. A straight line from beginning to end he said this is a series of scenes and it's cyclical like the scenes are supposed to sort of be going around and around and then at the end of the movie you kind of end up back where you began which is kind of the point like you don't no one's getting anywhere in this movie. Uh, um but eventually a uh a runaway soldier or like a, a a republican soldier so one of the ones who was against franco um, against the uh against the uh, uh fascist government shows up he you see him leaving a train and he runs and he takes refuge in their barn uh the Mm -hmm. barn where the little girls have been expecting to find the the frankenstein monster yeah and anna comes back without isabel Mm -hmm. um and finds him there and assumes that he's the spirit right because what else could he be yeah uh he's just this young guy uh and so what does she bring him she brings him some food and she brings him her father's coat right and we didn't mention it before because it wasn't important. I mean, I guess it is important, but we didn't mention it. Uh, the father has this pocket watch. It's like a musical pocket watch that you wind up and it plays a song. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the coat pocket is the pocket watch. Right. Yeah. So she brings him the pocket watch. She brings him the coat and the and the food. Um, and then that night, uh, like the police or the you know the government forces find him, uh, and you just sort of see it in shadow. But they just like unload into this guy with their submachine guns. It's just like. <laughs> And then he's, you assume he's dead. Yeah. And I think Anna is out like far enough away from the barn to see it happen. It happens in the middle of the night. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And she, that's when she's been going to visit him. Right. Um, so his body is taken to the police station. They they find, of course, the father's coat on him. They find the father's pocket watch. Uh, and the father has to go and identify the stuff. And he's like... And they, and they just assume, though, that the guy stole the coat and the pocket watch. Mm-hmm. Like, you think... I thought maybe the father would get in trouble for this, but he doesn't. They're just like, yes, yeah, I guess he stole your stuff. Um, but he figures out that Anna gave it to the soldier. He mm-hmm. does this little test at like breakfast. He mentions it, and he, like Anna, Anna, who has no poker face, is like, <gasps> and he's like, and he's like, ah, uh, but he doesn't do anything. He doesn't say anything. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I mean, yeah. she was just trying to help a guy, <laughs> right? Uh, she goes looking for the soldier again that day, and of course he's gone. But she finds uh, a blood stain. And blood-soaked bread. And some blood-soaked bread. I was super concerned that she was going to start eating it. Oh, God, no. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Yeah, that's what, what would have been my reaction, too. So the father is, has followed her, and he goes up to her. But this is this is the part that made us laugh, actually. Uh, now, keep in mind that when Willow and I watch a movie, either together in the same room or long distance like this, 
we are seriously watching the movie. We are watching. Mm-hmm. I we are critically watching this movie. We are paying attention, but we do chat quite a bit, especially in a movie like this. There is very little dialogue in this movie. It is mostly yeah. it is mostly visual. Uh, so we're chatting back and forth. We're we're we're, we're having a good time, and so we're a little giddy in in any case. And then the father confronts Anna and like at the at this barn and. Anna runs away from him, which leads to Anna being missing. Uh, she runs mm-hmm. away and no one can find her. But what are the circumstances under which Anna runs away? They're in an open field. Yes. And she's like four. Yep. And she runs in a straight line into the sunset mm-hmm. while her father just stares at her while she runs. You can see for a few few miles. <laughs> it's flat land. It's just desolate land and she goes running away from him and he stands there and he's going Anna Anna and you see her like running away and then the next thing you know she's a missing child and they're searching for her and I'm like just go get her like you're a you're an adult and I'm wondering if that is supposed to if that's how apathetic he is or just like no one I don't know it's the one part of the movie that I was like dude just go get your daughter like She's going to get tired in about 10 minutes and then you'll just like scoop her up in yeah, your Yeah, can arms. you imagine if you were in an open field with Mitzi and she just started running? Right, yeah. <laughs> You'd be uh, like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> Actually, you probably couldn't catch her now, to be honest. But when she was younger. <laughs> she was at this age, when she was four or five. So they go running after, so they go searching for her and they eventually, and then. They have the best dogs with them. Oh yeah, they have good old searching dogs, good old hunting dogs. Um, and this is where something happens with the mushroom, right? Yeah, Anna is searching for mushrooms. Yeah. To eat. And we're like, oh no. And she she finds one and she eats it. Yeah. And uh, then it cuts to the search party again. Right. And we're like, well, uh, uh they find her. She is like past She's somehow gotten out of the forest mm-hmm. and behind like an archway of some kind. Yeah, there's like just sort of a burned out building and she is she's but, curled but up there. But first before we get to that, she has a vision. What is little Anna's vision? Uh, the monster from Frankenstein is behind her, but he has her father's face. Uh, she is at a she's at a, a oh like a like a river or a pond, uh, much like the little girl in Frankenstein. And she looks at her, she sees her reflection in the water, and then the reflection turns into the monster's reflection. The mm-hmm. cinematographer of this movie said that he told her to say over and over again, "We can't get obviously Boris Karloff is dead. We can't get Boris Karloff to play the monster. We can't get footage from the movie. So just show the monster from behind. Otherwise, you're going to show this monster's face, and everyone's going to." see that it's just a double that it's not the actual monster from the movie and arise was like no we're going to show the monster's face and the cinematographer to, to, to the to like up through like whenever this documentary was made that i saw was just like that was the biggest mistake it took the audience out of it it's the one moment in the movie where we were like that's not frankenstein but what's funny is you said the monster had the father's face to me the monster just looks like her idea of what the monster looks like like it didn't distract me i was like well of course he doesn't look like boris karloff because her memory of the movie by this point is fuzzy. Like that's not a famous image to her. That's a that's a monster she saw once in a movie weeks ago or however long ago it was. Uh, and so it's just going to be this sort of like unsettling face. And you said it looks like the father. Every description of this movie has things like that in it, where everyone's going to describe these scenes a different way because they're very ambiguous. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, she sees the monster. She wakes up. She gets found the next morning and brought home. But what's wrong with little Anna? She's sick. Yeah, she's traumatized. 
by something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Roger Ebert, in his review of this movie years later, was like, something unspoken has traumatized this little girl. And I was like, dang. Like, I wouldn't even have noticed that. The All the doctor says is like, she will get, one day she will get over this trauma. And I'm like, what? Oh, no. Was there supposed to be something that happened that we don't know about? Like... Did they just like what did something happen to Anna? Uh, but we don't ever know. Or was he just being vague because he's a doctor? Like we don't know. Like, what was the trauma? Was it just being out a long time? Do they know? We don't know. Do you know? No. <laughs> I mean, she's clearly suffering from something. Mm-hmm. She's living in a fantasy world. Yeah. Um, I assume something has happened that she can't understand because she's as young as she is um maybe it has something to do with her sister yeah maybe it has to do with maybe she could be traumatized from her sister faking her own death maybe it could be traumatized just from all the hell that has happened around her like Mm -hmm. her whole life and that just finally came to a head um but then that night so she won't get up she won't talk to anyone she's basically in a little like waking coma like she's she's catatonic almost and her sister's bed has been moved out of the room. Yeah, she and her sister, but not the creepy doll. No, not the creepy not the, doll. and not the creepy monkey. Uh, in not fact, the creepy monkey. The monkey has been brought. There's a creepy monkey doll in the room that, at this point, has now been brought closer to her bed. Yes, <laughs> it's not a mistake. Victor Rodice makes all these decisions on purpose. We don't know why. Uh, but that night, she gets up out of her bed and she goes to the to the window and she calls the monster. But how does she call the monster? I don't remember. You don't remember. She says, uh, I believe it's, she says, I'm just going to, I'm going to make sure I have this correct. Um, She's looking out the window and she says, I think I am Anna. It's a very, it's a very, hold on. I'm I'm actually watching the little, I'm I'm Mm -hmm. replaying the scene right now just so I can, uh, I'm going to speed this up though. If you're his friend, you can talk to him whenever you want. Just close your eyes and call him. It's me, Anna. That's what she says. It's me, Anna. And she says it several times. And one way you can look at this ending, and that's kind of how it ends. Like she she goes to the window and then she shuts it and then the credits roll. Mm-hmm. One way you can look at this ending is that Anna actually got out. Unlike her mom, unlike her dad, who's trapped in the beehive, unlike her sister, who's just kind of losing it. Anna actually found an escape. She went inside her own head in a way like where she is actually free, where she is actually now she can do anything uh, because she's she's actually like gone into the only place that's not controlled by outside forces, which is inside her imagination, inside her fantasy world. And it's something that later directors, when exploring this, would do explicitly, like Guillermo del Toro in Pan's Labyrinth. That fantasy world, which is, of course, ambiguous in that movie, but like it becomes explicit, like very illustrated. In this movie, it's very subtle and very and very sweet and very... And it's just hinted at, but it's kind of there because she doesn't look scared at the end. She doesn't look or like she's not like dead faced. She she has bright eyes and she's looking out. Uh, but yeah, and that's how it ends. Uh, but it's it's a haunting little ending. You said this movie was kind of a horror. Is this movie a horror movie? Did I say that? Yeah. Or you say it's like it's a spooky movie or a scary movie. Oh, I was just saying that in regards to like because uh, it was one of the lost movies. Oh, I see. I was just, yeah. <laughs> uh, spook- you know, spooky because of how elusive it was. You know, it's it's funny because I was I've been thinking about my childhood mm-hmm. um, in the past few minutes, which is why I've been so quiet. And I was like, you know, I don't think I've ever had like a fantasy world that like intense. Mm-hmm. And then I thought back harder, and I was like, you know what? That's not true. <laughs> yeah. Me and Ava, you remember Ava, right? I do right? remember Ava. Um, 
we were convinced that we had magic powers mm-hmm. um, to control the elements. And like that, that was real to us. Yeah. Uh, we truly believed that. Um, and, you know, it's, it's weird thinking about it now. Like clearly we didn't. Um, but we believed enough that when we were together, uh, we would come up here sometimes, sit over by the window mm-hmm. and try to make it rain or make it windy and it would work. It would start raining. Yeah. And the wind would blow. It was weird. That's to me. See, that is to me, that is the essence of what this movie is about. Like it is about that weird moment in your childhood when you do have magic powers, when when you do say when you do make up a scary story and all of a sudden the scary story is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that moment of life only lasts a little bit. And if you remember it, that's even greater because that's like something that a lot of people forget about is that you have this like weird internal contradiction, but that's totally true to you. It's like, so when I was at Hale, uh, there was a ghost story about, I think every school had their own variation of the story about a girl, a dead girl who lived in the girl's bathroom. Mm -hmm. And I knew ghosts didn't exist, but I also knew that the girl's bathroom on the second floor was haunted. Yeah. And we weren't supposed to go in there alone. And whatever happened with that? Well, I left Hale in my third grade year, so. <laughs> uh, but I also knew that um, at Sanford, the founder's body was buried somewhere on the grounds. And that if you stayed after after hours in the library, you would see her walking around. Mm. Did that ever happen? Did you ever stay overnight? Why would I ever want to stay in that building ever at all? <laughs> I hated it enough during the day. <laughs> um. In, uh, in one of the uh, essays I read on this uh, movie, uh, I believe this is from the Dictionary of Spanish Cinema, it says that uh, this is the kind of film built upon glances, moods, and images rather than a strong plot where everything is tied up at the end. It was made during a period of strict censorship and a sense of nonconformity and frustration could be hinted or suggested but never properly articulated. Also, in a period when most attitudes could not be expressed freely, things had to be whispered through symbol or metaphor. In this way, Erice was using, in a very specific context, the lesson of his masters, Luis Curado's cinematography is extraordinarily inventive. On the one hand, he applies pictorial traditions like Johannes Vermeer and Francisco Zurbaran. On the other, he uses a very specific palette to convey the repression of emotions in a period when, as the father's voiceover suggests, order could be horrifying. Um, When this movie was submitted to the government censors, it was, they were very afraid. They were like, oh, you know, we're going to have to cut something because they always hate everything. And it was let through without any cuts. And Arise was like, well, that's something. And the reason they found out that they discovered why it was put through with so many cuts is the government censor said, this movie is so boring, no one's ever going to sit through it or pay attention to it. And he was like, thanks? <laughs> like He was like, so they thought it was such a bad movie that they were actually embarrassed for me. And they were like, this movie's going to bomb. No one's going to see it. It doesn't matter. Uh, it went on to win uh, the San Sebastian International Film Festival, which was a huge deal. Uh, It also won the Chicago International Film Festival, but it was not well accepted. In fact, at the San Sebastian Festival, it was when it was announced to be the winner, it was booed by half the audience who stomped their feet in protest. Like people thought it was a, a lot of people thought it was a bad movie and it took a while for it to become like 
considered the greatest Spanish film of its era. Like, like that it, seems to be a theme with all of the movies we watch. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think because it is so subtle and so like it was un- well, it was new. It was unlike anything that had been made at that point. But everything that came after this, if you watch Spanish cinema in this period after this, they're all about like through the eyes of a child <laughs> like the friend like the franco like uh 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 dictatorship like it's it all becomes for a while it created the genre of seeing horror through the eyes of an innocent until then children had been the leads in spanish cinema a lot actually but it was usually like the pluck of a youngster teaches all the adults like here is how to like be optimistic and upbeat not so much like they will be our focal point we will be seeing the world through their eyes um now i'm going to read you a quote it's a it's not short it's not like pages long but this is a quote from our man Guillermo del toro uh remember him <laughs> this is the ecstasy we talked of, about him in this episode this is the ecstasy of influence and we're back on we're back on the man uh he says Usually this is the point where I'm like, what do you think? Why do you think Guillermo del Toro likes his movies? I don't think we need to answer that question. <laughs> Here is why. Uh, he says, Whenever I, whatever I do in life, two shadows are cast upon my own. One is James Whale's Frankenstein and one is Victor Arise's Spirit of the Beehive. And they are both one and the same. The reason why the connection exists between James Whale's Frankenstein and Spirit of the Beehive is very personal to me. Because the movie that James Whale did in Hollywood with Boris Karloff, produced by Universal, travels all over the world and arrives to a tiny little dusty city in Spain and is seen by the eyes of a six-year-old girl and it transforms her and it makes the world magical and that depth of connection that essential connection which i think is the reason why i make movies not only is there but i am that girl frankenstein came to my life at that age and when i was a kid i transformed in the same way and the way i cast children and actors in general is defined by this movie the eyes of that girl the eyes of anna torrent the in spirit of the beehive are capable of seeing more mysteries than anyone ever in the history of mankind and when i cast my actors but especially the kids the only thing i want to see is if they can see and then i cast them it constructed my belief that you can build stories about children like night of the hunter like time bandits like these that are essentially full of magic and yet they're heartbreaking and you can see that in chronos devil's backbone pan's labyrinth and so on and so forth erise i think is the most mysterious spanish filmmaker every single thing erise talks about is ineffable it is beyond words and is within his images we can talk about the visual coding of the movie which is coded in this beautiful honey color like a beehive the beehive pattern on the window but the fact is that is more about the fields is more about the country is about the war even if it's so far away and this tiny little community in Sokovia and nothing is happening and yet one little tiny fragment of war comes into their lives and with it it brings the entire war it is one of my top three films of all time and it represents the most sacred spirit of film for me need we say more like that is that is it that is the man and if you can't watch this movie and see all of pan's labyrinth in it i don't know what you're doing i don't know what you're doing yeah honestly if you can't see pan's labyrinth in this movie you really don't have an eye for cinema to be completely honest it's like he took or you've never seen pan's labyrinth, or you've never seen pan's labyrinth. <laughs> he took this movie and just like like if this i don't you've seen hellraiser right no oh you haven't seen hellraiser but i know what you're talking about if this movie was the puzzle box in hellraiser it's like he figured it out and then it did that thing where it like expands and twists out into like this mm-hmm. exploded puzzle that's what pan's labyrinth is to this movie. pan's labyrinth is this movie kind of decoded and like exploded and that's that's the, that's this movie i thought it was great i thought this movie was fantastic yeah it was a great movie great movie um 
I was gonna say Pan's Labyrinth is like this movie and Hellboy combined, but you know we can go with the puzzle box as well. No, I, that makes sense too. That makes sense. <laughs> if Hellboy, if Hellboy sneezed all over this movie, it would be Pan's Labyrinth. That sounds like an insult, but it's not. <laughs> um, and if you're looking to watch this movie, it's available uh, through Criterion. You can buy the DVD. It's not on Blu-ray, as far as I can tell. Uh, but the DVD has amazing extras, all these like great documentaries and interviews. They did this whole documentary where they took several members of the cast, and they went back to the town, and they shot stuff in the exact locations at the exact angles and like sort of showed them together. And then they got the... They got the the town, which I think only has like 27 people in it, like at the time they shot this. And they showed Spirit of the Beehive in the same setup, at the, in the same building that they showed Frankenstein in Spirit of the Beehive. And you get to watch the audience watching Spirit of the Beehive and then the actors talking about it in the actual locations where they filmed all the scenes. It's a, a great documentary. Um, or it's on the Criterion channel. You can watch it on the Criterion with all the documentaries and stuff if you have Criterion.com. Uh but yeah, I would say, I mean, pick it up. It's a good movie. Like if you're looking for a, a good movie. Um, but Willow, what is our next? You're asking the movie? wrong person. <laughs> I'll give you a hint. It has more plot than Spirit of the P.I. That means so little in this. <laughs> our next movie coming up. A movie give that me another I- hint. Uh, it was made in 1975. It is going to be our first Giallo film. I think we talked about it. Oh, before. oh, I remember. I remember. I can't remember what it's called though. Oh, no. Our first Giallo film, 1975's Dario Argento masterpiece. One of my actual, one of my favorite movies. I've seen this movie several times. Uh, Profondo Rosso, or as it's called in internationally, Deep Red. A movie that is available in several different versions. I know which version we're going to watch. Don't okay. worry. <laughs> uh, we're going to watch the... Uh, the Because it's Italian, it doesn't matter what language you watch it in. Because half the cast is speaking English, half of them are speaking Italian. It's all dubbed anyway. We're going to watch the English language full-length edition. The restored edition. Which also means that some of the scenes are going to be in Italian. Because they never dubbed those into English. Because they cut it before they dubbed it in English. We're going to watch the full So it's going to be like that other one. That other yeah. movie. What was it? Uh? I don't even remember which one it was. But I know. It was the one with the woman with the eyes. The one with the woman with the eyes. Um, was it Duel? No. <laughs> the house that screamed? No, it was, uh, it was the one. Was it Black Sunday? Black Sunday, Spirits of the Dead. Um, we've watched a lot of movies. Or was it Danger was it, Diabolic? Was it the one with the metal mask? Uh, and the vampire lady? Uh, 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 uh. That was Black Sunday, right? Black, was that Black? That was Black Sunday. Uh, yeah. Yes, probably. It was probably exactly like that. Um, it was by Mario. Mario Bava. Yeah. My movies. <laughs> That's uh, where that joke started. Did it? I thought it started a long time ago. I think we've been it saying, might have started a long I think time we've been ago. saying my movies since the first episode when I was talking about Guillermo del Toro and I did an impression of him that sounded like Mario Brother. Right. Um Yes, Deep Red will be our next movie, so uh, uh, check it out and check us out at uh, on Twitter at Del Toro Time. That's it. That's all I have to say. Because um, no one wants to use Facebook anymore. No one wants to use Facebook. Yeah, we have a Facebook page. Uh, I just post. I basically just post the, the episodes when they come out there. So uh, I recommend not using Facebook. It's a trash company. Every, I mean, to be fair, every everything's a trash, a trash company. company. Uh, you should use social media that I grew up with. It was called letter writing. Hey, everybody. I'm Phil. And I'm Willow. And we'll see you when it's, it's Del Toro time. Del Toro time.